Women Taking the Lead, Episode 112. Become completely present in the now. And as we know, that's essential because that's all we have. We have now, and we have now again, and we have now again. And it's the meaning, you know, that we give to the past that influences how we experience today and then where we let our vision take us that influences how we experience tomorrow. But it begins first with becoming present with now. And I think a lot of what happens is it's important for people to give themselves the opportunity to update. Where are you now? And that's what mindfulness does. That's what mindful conscious leadership is about. Hello, my name is Jody Flynn and welcome to Women Taking the Lead, where we are all about creating blasts of inspiration to help you overcome self-doubt so you can lead with confidence, integrity, and a sense of humor. Head over to womentl.com forward slash recognize to reserve your spot in our upcoming webinar on how to be recognized and rewarded for the work you do. Now, your future awaits, so let's get started. Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining us today. I'm here with Margaret Hasna Kelsey. She's the founder of Wave of Insight, which offers conscious leadership coaching and consulting and author of Wave of Insights, Poetry and Prose on Facebook with a global following of over 24,000. She is the mother of a seven-year-old boy whom she adopted from Nepal. And when asked what she loves most about working with individuals and groups, she'll tell you watching the aha moment when true transformational learning takes place. Margaret, that's only a little intro for everyone. So tell us more about you and your own humble beginnings. Mm, thank you, Jody. Thank you. What a fun honor to be part of this program. You know, I've been thinking about that question, humble beginnings, and I have to admit, you know, on the surface, my life didn't look all that humble. You know, my father was a professor. My mother was primarily a homemaker at first, and then she um, went to work at Yale, we had two homes, one in Connecticut, a summer place on Peaks, you know, right here off of Portland. I was pretty. I had friends. I was smart. Um, I always did well in school. I was a high achiever. But underneath it all, and I've really thought about how kind of real and raw I want to get with you, you know, on mm. this show, I was really underconfident and I had a poor sense of self-image for some reason and I was really paying attention to and overly concerned with the mass media messages I was getting about not being thin enough and not being attractive enough and interestingly my parents were going through a terrible divorce um, in my teens and part of the way I coped with that was to develop an eating disorder and, you know, anorexia, which I'm sure, you know, a lot of people have heard about. And it became really kind of a silent hell for a really long time. And so, you know, my humble beginnings are, are really about what happened in my early teen years where I was really reckoning with what did it mean to be a strong woman and what did my self-image need to look like? Um, and that there, was, there wasn't a strong, you know, there wasn't a good base um, for women who were high achievers to, to fit anything other than a particular kind of image. Wow, that's really powerful. And it really speaks to, you know, it doesn't matter what your life looks like on the outside. It doesn't speak to what's going on for the person. Exactly. And no one would have known because again, from the outside, you know, they'd kind of say, oh, she's all together with the exception of obviously noticing that I was way too thin. Um, but really what was happening inside was this degree of figuring out how do I manage myself so that I can fit in. 
And, yeah. uh, and also, how do I do that and fit into a size two, which is un- unreasonable, you know, I'm, a, I'm almost 5'8". <laughs> That's just unreasonable. Right. And um, it really wasn't until I got to college where I began to look at and deconstruct the false messages I had received and got more involved in women's health and women's issues. And I, and I even took, you know, a PE course in Kundalini yoga, because it was an option then, um, that I began to awaken to a different orientation to what it meant to have a whole, healthy body, mind and spirit. And, and that kind of took me on a new path, if you will. Oh my gosh, I'm hoping we get more into this. And I think we're going to, because clearly, you know, you went from a place of really lacking confidence, being unsure of who you were in the world and, and how to express yourself. And here you are today, right? You've got a Facebook following of over 24,000 people who uh, are there and aligning with you because your message is so clear. Mm. And so you've definitely gained success and confidence but take us back to, to to another time when you were playing small mm-hmm. and you may not have been aware of it at the time. Mm. Share with us the story and the lessons you've learned. Oh, sure. Well, it's interestingly because, you know, the thread kind of continued after I graduated, um, you know, from UMass also with honors. You know, I went on to get my graduate degree at Harvard. And what was so fascinating is I was sitting, you know, in my graduate seminars and I felt so small and I felt small because I didn't go to all the Ivy league schools that all these, all the other women went to. And I didn't know how to participate in this small group lecture. I was accustomed to these large lecture lectures that, you know, university of Massachusetts had. And at one point I really struggled with thinking, how do I contribute here? And thankfully, you know, by the grace of God and the TAs I had who encouraged me to speak up and write really well, um, I learned how to give myself voice. And, you know, interestingly, even Carol Gilligan, she was on sabbatical that year, but, you know, uh, her teachings were permeating through the human development department. And uh, it was a profound time where I really had to, like, again, get in touch with what did it mean to have a voice and how do I use it? You know, I'm so happy you brought that up, Margaret, because I think there are a lot of women out there who think to themselves, well, I have nothing to say or I don't know how to say it. And so they say nothing, mm-hmm. right? They, they they stay quiet because they're thinking nobody wants to hear what I have to say or if I say something, I'm going to get ridiculed. But oftentimes, if we can just position it as we're offering up our perspective, Like, this is how I see things. I'm not saying I'm right. I'm not saying you're wrong. But this is kind of what I'm seeing. I find that to be very powerful. And people will listen to that. Mm -hmm. I think that's so true. And and to give ourselves that permission where we where we say, I don't have to be right, you know, because there's a lot of pressure to be right. When a woman speaks, Mm -hmm. you know, she ought to be speaking with some um, credibility. You know, I, I definitely wrestled with, did I have enough credibility to be able to utter anything? And it is important to just know that we all perceive things. We all have the, we all have the same subjective experiences in terms of we're taking in information all the time. And it's what makes us unique is those perceptions and how we put them together and the meaning we give to them. And as we give more voice to our experiences, 
then we're able to contribute to the larger fabric of the understanding that everyone needs to have and share, you know? And so, yes, I think for women, knowing that, you know, you at, at any table have a right to speak is a really important lesson to learn. And, and also, you know, one of the things I think we can see that happens a lot too is um, when women do share, they, you know, we, we, are, we are naturally conditioned to, to feel. We also, you know, we, we have different ways in which we process information. And, and so we're likely at times to share more feeling-based thoughts. And what's interesting, of course, is sometimes that's perceived as being rational or irrational. Mm-hmm. And so for women to find a way in which we can express ourselves, our intelligence as well, you know, our intellectual intelligence, as well as our emotional intelligence is, is really important. I know it's a, it's an, it's a struggle too, but it's, it's so important. Yes. I found that the more confidence I've gained, I don't have a problem with starting a sentence with, you know, I feel this way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You know, it's not what I think that's important in this situation. It's what I'm feeling. And my feelings are telling me this. And yes, sometimes people look at me like, really? And I'm like, yep. And that's what I'm basing my decision on. And they're like, okay. But if you say it with confidence, yes, people just, should, you know, nod their heads and go, okay, that's what we're going with. You know, because we both know it's n- when we say, this is how I feel. Mm-hmm. We're saying more than this is how I feel. Mm -hmm. Like a lot more is tied up in that. Our intuition has probably played into that decision. We probably have had some thoughts. But what comes out in those moments, first and foremost, is we're very clear about how we feel about a situation. And so that's how we articulate it. Yes. Well, and also what's important, too, is and as I've come to understand in studying, you know, where and how values play a role in everything, the more we can Mm -hmm. also get in touch with what our values are, because values influence our beliefs. And so what we see is values influence beliefs, beliefs influence thoughts and feelings. And what's it, an equally strong statement to, stay, to say in any kind of conversation is I value this and I believe in this. And when I believe in this, this is what you're going to see come forward in me, you know, and, and to carry sort of that message all the way through. And that then lands in a different place of strength too. Um, because people are, people are comfortable talking about values, feelings, people get a little unengy sometimes talking about feelings, you know, (laughs) especially if you're trying to have a conversation with somebody who hasn't been permitted to, to develop their emotional intelligence, you know, and they don't really know how to identify the fact that while they're shaking their hands in the air, they're actually angry. You know? Yes. Margaret, can you give an example of a scenario in which you would talk about a value and a belief and how that leads to how you're showing up Yeah. or what decision you're making? Yeah, sure. So, you know, one of my values, obviously, is sharing wisdom. You know, I, I, I value the opportunity to be authentic. And so I believe that when I'm being authentic, then I'm able to have a better connection with someone. Um, they're able to uh, trust me. They're able to turn to me. They know that I'm, I'm real, you know, when I'm not putting on a mask or trying to be something I'm not. And, and so that kind of shows up then in how I might interact with somebody. So, for example, I think that's what, you know, Wave of Insight is about for me. It's, it's wanting to put out there that, you know, Here's just something I've been musing about, 
it's real for me and I'm going to just put this down. And I think that's what's contributing to the folk, to the resonance that that's what's lending to the resonance. Yes, I totally. Okay. I totally get that. And I can see when we can express what we value and what we believe and how that drives our behavior. We're also giving other people a really good opportunity to see who we really are. Yes. Well, and and connect. Yes. And what's even more important too, is what happens when we don't get to do that. When we don't get to honor what our values are, then we move into what ends up being more limiting behaviors. So for example, if you, if you value, um, I don't know, Jody, what's a value you might have? Community. Community. And so what's a belief that you have about community? I believe that when we find a community and we align and contribute, and become a part of a community, we all get stronger from the interaction. That's great. So you all get stronger. And so what's one of the behaviors that you do, you exhibit because you believe in this so strongly? I try to gather people around me. I try to gather people together. Terrific. How do you feel when you can't do that? Oh, (laughs) I feel isolated. I feel frustrated. I'm, yeah, Yeah. like, yeah. Yeah, and so what happens exactly, when we don't get the chance to truly express ourselves authentically based on our values, then what we see happening is those degree of frustrated feelings. You know, and so for me, generally, when when I'm working with individuals, and I see those kind of limiting behaviors, that to me is an indication of where values aren't allowed to be authentic and expressed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and so it's like yeah. X marks the spot. Like that's where you start digging. Yeah, exactly. Uh-huh. And that's where you uh-huh. look to say, okay, let's let's look at what the fears are around not being able to do this. You know, is it something internal or is it something external? You know, is it an internal message that you've socialized? and internalized that tells you you can't be XYZ? Or is it an external environmental condition that you don't have control over, or maybe limited control over? And then you need to decide whether or not that's the right environment for you to be in to thrive. Mm -hmm. I love it. (laughs) We could go on forever. But I want you to take us now to another time when you had a wake up call or an aha moment somewhere along your journey. But take us back to that moment and share with us the steps you took that led to your success. Yeah, sure. All right. Well, this is also a big part of my journey. You know, I was married at one time. And while I was married, um, my husband and I were in the process of adopting. And, uh, and interestingly, through that process, what, be, what, what came to the surface is that I really wanted a family and, and he didn't. And it became more and more evident. And my intuitive sense was aware of this. Um, I was having a hard time speaking to it. And ultimately, it, it arrived that indeed, he didn't want to have a family. And I did. And so there began the struggle of separation and divorce. And it was a very big spiritual awakening for me around paying attention to the subtle clues and, and insights, really, that come along, that tell you, you know what, you're not on the same wavelength with somebody. And, you know, I kind of uh, got to the conclusion that in the end, you know, capital T truth always rises to the surface with consciousness. 
And what was fascinating about the process is indeed, you know, I got divorced and then eventually had to revisit for myself, okay, where do I still stand in relationship to this whole thing about adopting? You know, is this still, again, a value of my own to be a mother, to parent and to adopt? I'd always wanted to adopt internationally from the time I was 16. And, you know, how do I do this? Do I, can I do it as a single woman? You know, where in the world am I still allowed and permitted to do that? Um, there weren't very many countries where I could. And so I really had to work with a lot of conditioned beliefs around what's permissible to do, again, as a woman. Um, and, and what did it mean to do it solely on my own, to raise a child on my own? Wow, that was in two different areas, two really big areas where there was this slow awakening. Mm, mm. It was a slow awakening that actually happened almost as I was walking around the West End every night. (laughs) Yes. The waves of, huh, we're not on the same page with each other. Why are we not on the same page with each other? What's happening in in my marriage where we're not in alignment and I can kind of tell we're not in alignment. And that's the powerful thing, I think, with intuition. You know, intuition is is a vibration in my experience. It's, it's not a thought. It's not a feeling. It's more like a vibration, you know, that comes through. And mm-hmm. I can remember the exact night that it hit me. I'm like, we're totally on different pages and he wants a divorce. Like I just knew it. You know? yeah. <laughs> and you know, that's, that's where we went to. And so again, you know, women's ways of knowing, um, it, it is a very, very powerful when we as women give ourselves the opportunity to say, I'm going to tap into my intuition and own it, that's a powerful statement. It's a powerful statement for anyone, men men and women. I don't mean to exclude men from this at all. We all have intuitive abilities. Um, but it, it's a highly valuable, highly valuable form of intelligence. I 100% agree. And I agree when you say it's very powerful. And I think for some people, it's so powerful, it's scary. It is. They fear it. It is. It's true. And, you know, I must say, one of the best books I ever read was Blink. Mm. Uh, Blink is a great book because it talks about how perceptive we are as humans. You know, we take in information all the time. And really what our brains do is they act like a very comprehensive filtration system. And, And so we're not attending to all the details that we're taking in. But Really, Mm -hmm. part of what intuition is, is the fact that we have taken all this in, and so we're piecing it together. So it's not some mystical thing that's happening, um, but rather we are awakening to all the little dots, you know, that are all over the place of of what we've taken in. And suddenly, it's almost like it's this background web that turns on and goes, have you not seen this? <laughs> right, right. And it all comes together. It's like a click. And it all comes together. Yeah. Yes. I love it. I, I'll oftentimes in workshops when I want to introduce intuition, right, in a way that makes people feel like they can put their hands around it, I'll show Simon Siddick's TED Talk mm-hmm. on how great leaders inspire, where he talks about the golden circle, you know, the why, what, how. Mm-hmm. And he talks about how um, your why live is so hard to articulate because it lives in an area of your brain that does not process speech Mm. or language. Mm -hmm. 
And I, you know, so when we're done, we'll process the video and talk about the video and all the repercussions of that. And then when we get to intuition, I will go back to the video and go, your intuition lives in the same place your why lives. And that's why intuition comes through in pictures in vibrations in gut feelings in just knowing sometimes it's a sound that comes at you. It's the part of your brain that's trying to communicate with you in every way, except logic, reasoning and language. Exactly. That's right. That is so beautifully said. Yep. Yep. Well, you know, it's and fascinating for me too is you know in the process of awakening to my marriage being where it was and that we were headed for divorce i you know i regrounded in my yoga practice um i regrounded in the things and the disciplines that reinforce that intuitive capability and and i and i began also to no longer fear my intuition but instead to really value it because i think how he and I both pay deeper attention to our intuitive senses about the differences, you know, and where we were not on the same wavelength, that we would have saved ourselves a lot of trouble. You know, we would have saved ourselves a lot of pain that comes along with going through a divorce. We would have been able to articulate it. And so that's the other thing, you know, so much power comes from, um, and I mean positive power, comes from when you can just lay out the cards and say, hey, this is what my intuition's telling me. What's your intuition telling you? You know, this is what my intellectual intelligence is telling me. What's yours telling you? And this is what my EQ is telling me. How about yours? And have a kind of a frank conversation about it, you know? <laughs> Put it all on the table. <laughs> Put it all on the table. Um, versus get so locked down, you know, in one camp or the other where you p- see people arguing at the intellectual level or fighting with passion at the emotional level. Right, right. So true. And actually, this is a great segue, Margaret, because what I want to ask you about next is your leadership style, Mm. because we all lead differently. We've had different life experiences. We have different personality styles and strengths. So how would you describe your leadership style? Um, So my leadership style, actually, you know, it stems from a couple of different bodies of knowledge first, right? So one Barry Brazelton was a teacher, a mentor of mine, and he taught me that we all have, we have four different areas of growth at any given moment, spiritual, emotional, physical, and, um, and mental. And so one part of my leadership style is to pay attention to which part of me is growing the most now, you know, which part of me needs to grow the most now. And if one area is growing, if I'm leading in one particular area, Don't be surprised if there's a a regression in another. Um, And so that's one thing I pay attention to. I'm also really thankful to a professor at at Harvard who really helped me appreciate confusion and the states of confusion. And I think as leaders, what's really important is to have patience because she taught me we learn the most while we are in a state of confusion. And the longer we can we can hang in that state of confusion, the more we will actually learn. And so much of what we do, even with school today, is not allow children to sit in a place of confusion. We're trying to force solutions. We're trying to force answers before they're due. And instead, if we can just sit with the, I don't know right now, I don't know right now, I don't know right now, and get mindful about that and adopt a mindful practice that allows us to bring forward 
the answer more holistically and organically, we will arrive at a totally different place. And, um, you know, of course, you know, the whole values work really informs my understanding as well about the progression of leadership, my, you know, my capacity of leadership development as well as someone else's. You know, we develop as leaders in relationship to how well our basic needs are met versus our growth needs, you know. Mm -hmm. So, so long as our base needs are met, then we're able to kind of ascend into thinking about how we can make a difference and be of service. But let me tell you, it's kind of hard to think about how you can be of service if you're not sure of where or how you're going to pay for your rent. Right. You know, right. you might have that lofty goal, but you, it's, it's going to be on shaky ground. Yes. And I love that you said that because I start nearly all of my programs and my coaching arrangements talking with people about their self-care. Mm. Fantastic. How are you taking care of yourself, right? Yeah, because if you're not getting your basic needs met, how are we going to get anywhere else? Right, right. Eventually, that's going to show up. Yes, and it will It will be the reason why you're stuck yep. and can't get beyond it and keep doing and stuck in that like negative feedback loop of whatever habits you're stuck in right now that aren't working for you usually comes from just being exhausted, overwhelmed, overcommitted, worrying about money you know, among other things. So perfect, perfect that you said that. Well, and also, you know, really what, what informs my, my sense of leadership. And, and I probably come back because I am a mystic at heart. I am. I do come back to, you know, one of my favorite yogis and, and that's Yogi Bhajan. He bought, he brought Kundalini yoga to the States. And as we know, you know, yoga, and it's of no surprise to me that it's having the sweep that it is now um, in this part of the world, you know, yoga is the union with self. That's what that means. And I think the more you can take the time to know thyself, um, to know who you are authentically so that you can express yourself authentically, the greater you have the chance for fulfillment and happiness. Ah. This is a great segue, Margaret, because the next thing I want to know is what you're working on right now that you're really excited about and want to share with us. Yeah. So, you know, I'm really excited about obviously Wave of Insight. It's been such a, a such a, a ride, you know, a ride <laughs> of the wave, you know, over the last three years. Um, we'll be coming up on three years this summer and and to see kind of the growth of it and i've decided to take it to the next level of putting together this online gallery so people can come and um purchase the pieces as uh prints or cards or um i think there's even a tote bag option um, <laughs> you know, which kind of amuses me um but it, it, it's a real joy to see you know facebook obviously gives you all these analytics. And so I'm able to see things like when somebody shares a piece that they shared last year, because now Facebook says to you, oh, this is what you shared last year or three years ago. Do you want to share it again? And they do. Or I'll come across somebody who's chosen one of my pieces as their cover photo or their profile picture. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think I get real excited about that because it's a real kind of, um, it, it was never intended to be anything more than an avocation, if you will, you know, it was sort of the side of me that's the artistic side. And, um, and I just love to see that the work resonates. And I'm also excited because I want to offer proceeds um, to an organization that provides relief to Nepal. As we know, Nepal was hit very hard with the earthquakes. It's still 
raising a child from Nepal, I still get very emotional when I think about it. And, uh, and so I, w- I want to do whatever I can um, to help raise funds. That's beautiful, Margaret. And I know a lot of people go to Facebook looking for those inspirational posts, the ones that make them smile or just internally go, yes, that's exactly what I'm thinking. Or, you know, I used to put way more effort into doing inspirational posts on my Luma coaching page. And then just my attention got pulled elsewhere. I don't do them as often, but I remember people constantly giving me feedback of like, you made my day. I look for your posts. And it's so great that now you're giving people the opportunity to take the posts with them Mm -hmm. on the go. I love the tote bag idea because then they can take their favorite inspirational message and picture with them wherever. Yeah, exactly. And just just look at it all day long. I, I, <laughs> so. I know, or have something on the door, you know? <laughs> yes, yes, right on your desk. Or, I mean, the opportunities are endless. You could like mail it to a friend. So great, yep. so great. Awesome. All right, Margaret, now we're moving into the quick leadership roundup. Yep. So tell us, what is one practice you have that helps to make you a better leader? Meditation, hands down meditation and any kind of mindful practice. Um, and so, you know, meditation doesn't have to mean sitting in lotus position. You know, let's, let's get real clear on this. Okay. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because some people think of that and just go, Oh, woo woo. You know, they roll their heads. You know, the purpose of meditation is to provide the opportunity to get distance from that, which you are normally absorbed by. And, and to see where and how you're being pulled and to notice, you know, your own thoughts passing by like clouds instead of getting attached to them and hanging on to them and, you know, trying to wring every drop out of them. It, it's, it's an important practice. And so some form of mindfulness practice is really at the center of my, my capacity to lead and inspire others to lead, I hope, you know, to say, hey, either do a meditation where you do sit or begin to journal or do a walking meditation or just Mm -hmm. slow down. You know, one of the things I do, I swim. It's one of my forms of exercise. And um, I intentionally, for the last five minutes of my swim, slow down so that I can notice every movement of my arms and my legs. I see the bubbles rising to the surface. I pay attention to them and become completely present in the now. And as we know, that's essential because that's all we have. We have now, and we have now again, and we have now again. Mm-hmm. And it's the meaning, you know, that we give to the past that influences how we experience today and then where we let our vision takes us that influences how we experience tomorrow. Um, but it begins first with becoming present with now. And I think a lot of what happens is it's important for people to give themselves the opportunity to update. Where are you now? Mm. And, um, and that's what mindfulness does. That's what mindful conscious leadership is about. Coming present now, updating now, paying attention to, you know, what we're sensing are the trends, you know, around us, how to develop ourselves and, and others to support that. That's great. Thank you for going into the explanation of that, because I know I recommend meditation to my clients. And that's usually the first pushback I get. I can't sit still for that long. I'm like, I'm not talking about sitting still. (laughs) I mean, the weather when the weather gets nice, I really enjoy going for long walks on the Eastern Trail without anything in my ears, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. where I just walk and let my thoughts kind of drift. I don't ruminate on worries. I just Try to get present to the sounds and the sights around me. Yes. And I love that. Yes. Love that. 
All right, Margaret, what is one book that you would recommend to a woman to help her develop her leadership? You know, Pema Chodron, hands down. I, I love her work. You know, uh, Taking the Leap is a great book. Um, it's a fantastic book that really speaks to some of the Buddhist practices of, you know, appreciating everything's kind of impermanent, but moreover, like, how do you not allow fear to get in your way? And, um, and so I think that's a really important, um, important book. There, there are a bunch of them, but I really wanted to pick a woman, you know, yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> Yeah, it doesn't have to be a woman, but if it is, cool. <laughs> it's one of those. Pema Chodron. All right. There, and now, what advice would you give your younger self? Oh, gosh. Wow. My, the advice for my younger self would be to um, never take anything too seriously. You know, uh, life is really here for enjoy, enjoyment. You know, it, it's here for the exploration and to have experiences you know, to keep having experiences and just to reflect on them and learn from them with as much compassion as you can possibly have for yourself and others. And because uh, with that compassion, then comes the ability to generate more love for yourself and others. And, you know, leadership born from love is a very different type of leadership. It's the kind of leadership that really changes the world. And, uh, and so, you know, it all starts with, you know, don't take it all too seriously. <laughs> yes. So true. We could do a whole separate show just on that answer yeah. right there. Okay, let's do it. <laughs> so awesome. And Margaret, share with us a success quote or a mantra and why it has meaning for you. Wow. Okay. Well, that's great because, um, again, I'm going to come back to, uh, you know, a Sanskrit quote, which, which also Kundalini folks use, it's called Ong Namo Gurudev Namo. It means I call upon the divine wisdom and self-knowledge that is within us. And, um, you know, in, in, in sharing this mantra or speaking this mantra, you will come into greater alignment with what you are here to do. You just do. I've been, I've been saying this mantra for 35 years, every day of my life. I'm not kidding. Every day of my life, I say this mantra. And, um, you know, it helps me stay aligned, <laughs> mm -hmm. you know, and, um, and I also love the quote, the simple one, do something today that your future self will thank you for. Yeah. I love that one too. Right? We've seen that <laughs> circulate. Yes. Yes. It's a good reminder. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> right. Just, you know, get over whatever it is that's stopping you, get it done. Your future self will thank you for it. Yeah. Yeah. So true. And lastly, before we let you go, what is the best way for this community to connect with you? Mm, fantastic. Thanks for, uh, yeah, the invitation. I'd be delighted to receive emails anytime somebody wants to email me at mhkelsey at waveofinsight.com. And also, of course, um, Wave of Insight on Facebook. Um, go message, you know, and stay tuned. Uh, let's see, by April, um, whenever the show gets released, the gallery will be up. Um, so I'll be real excited about that and, uh, and seeing where and how it, you know, how it carries, no pun intended. With right. 
That's perfect. And I know for you ladies listening, you are women on the go. So no worries. You can find all the links that Margaret shared and the resources that she shared in this episode at womentakingthelead.com. And Margaret, thank you so much for taking the time to inspire and enlighten us. We're all better for having met you. Oh, gosh. Wow. That makes me all teary. As as Mm. am I, Jody. As am I. Thank you for joining me on Women Taking the Lead. Are you ready to take the lead in your own life? Head over to womentl.com forward slash recognized to reserve your spot in my upcoming webinar on how to be recognized and rewarded for the work that you do. And to strengthen you on your leadership journey, I'd like to send you off with a quote from Marianne Williamson. Our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. It is our light, not our darkness, that most frightens us. We ask ourselves, who am I to be brilliant, gorgeous, talented, fabulous? Actually, who are you not to be? You are a child of God. Your playing small does not serve the world. There is nothing enlightened about shrinking so that other people won't feel insecure around you. We are all meant to shine, as children do. We were born to make manifest the glory of God that is within us. It's not just in some of us, it's in everyone. And as we let our own light shine, we unconsciously give other people permission to do the same. As we are liberated from our own fear, our presence automatically liberates others. Again, thank you for joining with me, and here's to your success.